You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk in order that the law's requirement according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have, the, have their minds flesh set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. You can have a seat. Amen. We've been, uh, it's, again, I'm not going to speak for anyone else other than me, but uh, I've been having fun as we're walking through this series through the book of Romans. It's a letter written by this man, Paul, one of the early church leaders uh, to the church in Rome. And, um, you know, there's a lot of beautiful things we've been unpacking, but one of them hopefully is this life of being able to recognize more what's going on within us. Even as we looked at last week, kind of there's a battle at times and we're not quite sure what's happening. Hopefully Romans has helped us to be able to understand a little bit uh, what's some of the work in us that we call sin, but what's some of the great hope that we have in Jesus to bring freedom, that we can stop pretending, that we can be honest, that we can be free. So we're all about application here. So what I thought we want to do to just be able to help you to be as free and honest in every part of you, if we can show this picture, technology is amazing. We found out Google's invented this new device using magnetic, kind of, I don't understand it all, but using magnetic brainwaves where you put this on and it's able to show every thought that's going on in your mind. 
It's, it's unbelievable. So what we're going to, and, and just it, you're able to see like almost like word to text kind of thing come up. So we're going to put this on after worship and we're just going to order everyone up um, in according to how long you've been here at the village longest to. So if you are new, you can just bolt and jet, right? But this is going to be a way for us to be able to just keep one another accountable. Like, because we're all, we pretend so much in church, right? But the Romans has been about, we got to be honest with how Christ wants to meet us. So we're going to do this so we can see everything going on in our mind. And some of you about the bolt right now, you like, you anxiety up to level 9.5. You know, you know I'm messing around because, I mean, aside from privacy laws and stuff, there's a, I don't th- I mean, it's getting close. That's the scary thing, right? But we don't have anything fully like that. But just even the thought of it, even though that sounded ridiculous, even just didn't like the idea of that kind of give you the willies? Like you got a little bit anxious and a little bit scared because there's some folks I met and they, I try not to mess with them. There's some folks that don't give a rip about being a good person. Like they don't even care. But most people I talk to, they kind of want to be a decent person. Like they want to be responsible. Most folks I meet have a certain desire to... Um, be good people and have other people around them be good people too. Like, that just makes life better. And for good, moral people, the scenario I described with that crazy freaky hat thing, I mean, it's not just embarrassing, it's like horrifying. It's frightening because part of being moral, it's learning how you behave exactly sometimes contrary to what's going on in your thoughts, right? Sometimes being moral is, okay, if you are feeling something inside, what do you need to do so that no one else knows? Because that's part of adulting, right? You don't just go crazy because you're feeling something. You don't let everyone part of Part of being a good moral citizen is even if you don't feel like it, how can you make it through the next hour or so? And man, that's why our passage today, I mean, all of Romans 8, I've been itching to get to Romans 8. It's like so good. Um, but that's why our passage today that we're getting to is so revolutionary because it's talking about differentiating between two different kinds of people. Even like we looked at last week, those who live according to the flesh, but now also those who live according to the spirit. Like that there's two kinds of people. And today, oh man, Contrary to a life that's lived in fear and guilt and shame, which I would suggest is what it means to live by flesh, we're welcome to live in the spirit. And there's freedom and joy and a lot of good stuff. So let me pray for us uh, as we ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to guide us in this time. Lord, help us, God. Even as I shared that silly illustration, Lord, some of us, it, it just drew out the fear of being known in stuff that we don't want to be known in, things we've been maybe running from. We thank you, Lord, that this is a safe space to be able to learn how you see us, who the Spirit is. We pray for restoration. We pray for encouragement. We pray for freedom. We pray for healing. Whatever is needed to draw us closer to you. So Holy Spirit, do your good work in this place. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So let's explore the Spirit and freedom. You know, as we look at what does it mean to be free in the spirit, again, there's two ways to live. You have the flesh and you have the spirit. And, and what I would suggest is how we live in either of those two ways, we can see that in our minds. It can be revealed in our minds, uh, in our thoughts. 
And, and just like we looked at with that illustration, like what's going on in our thoughts, in our minds, oftentimes that's a real accurate indicator of who we really are. And that can be really unsettling to read because I don't know about you, um, our inc- most of our inclination is we categorize people if they're good or bad based on what they do, right? I mean, that just makes sense and, and that's the easiest way to do it. What, what does their behavior say who they are? Are they good people or are they bad people? But as real, and, and I'm not minimizing those things, what we do is important, consequences of that, we need to be responsible. But what it's saying is, who we really are is also revealed in our thought life. Not just what we do, but also what's going on in the hidden places in our mind, in our thoughts. That's what verse 3 is addressing here. For what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. I want to make really clear, like we looked at last week, the law of God, what God requires, it's not bad. It's actually really good. So what's Paul talking about here? Um, I think here's a way to understand it. Some people, even here, might be legitimately kinder, more generous, more loving, more rule-abiding. And I think that, that feels weird to hear in church because we're used to hearing, but we're all the same. It, that's true. Before God, all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. But I don't think that means that there's not some people who are better or worse, <laughs> Like, whether here or even out here, like there are degrees of evil. There are degrees of expressing who we are in unhealthy ways. And that's what the law has the power to show us. The law has the power to reveal to us who is a quote-unquote better person or worse person. Who follows the rules? Who lives like we would hope a responsible citizen does? Because this might sound crazy. You don't need God to be a good citizen. You, you don't. You don't need God to pay your taxes on time. You don't need God to be that person who puts your garbage can out and not blocks other people's access. You don't need God to be the one who looks at multiple lines at the grocery store and when it says 15 items or less, you're like, I got 16, so I guess I can't. You know, you don't need God to understand those things. You don't need God to be able to look at different traffic laws and say, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. You don't need God to be able to do those things. You don't need God to be that good neighbor. Like, you don't. It it might help, but you, you don't. So you can definitely do those things. And, and again, maybe some of us in here, you might be that person that everyone around you looks at and says, oh, that's the good neighbor. I'm glad she lives next to me. But here's what I'm saying. Obedience to the flesh can produce that. You don't need Jesus to be able to be a good neighbor, to be a good citizen. But what we're seeing here is what obedience to the law cannot do. That, that's the point of what we're seeing here. Look at verse 7. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Did you catch that in verse 7 in the beginning? It says, the mindset of the flesh. It's talking about the thought life. It's talking about what's going on in inner parts. Because obedience to the law, it can make you moral or at least appear moral, right? Based on what we see. But what obedience to the law cannot do is transform the inner parts of your mind. Following the rules, doing what even God has said to do, what that can't do is transform your desires, your thoughts, what you feel, 
what you think, what you crave. It reminds me of what we, we briefly looked at last week when Jesus, he was asked, what's the most, what's the most important law, Jesus? And, and Jesus, he encapsulated, if you want to know the law, it's in this statement. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and this is Luke's version, and your what? Your mind. Like your mind. And, and what it's saying to us, loving God and obeying him, it's not just about what we do. I mean, that's the thing that's most obvious to us, but it's about who we are, even in the unseen places of our mind. That's what it means to obey God, even in the places no one else might be able to see. Because the law, it doesn't just require obedience of external action, but obedience of the mind as well. And here's where it's bad news for most of us. Um, being a moral responsible person, it can't transform your mind. It can help. You can get some renewed thinking, but it can't like fully transform your thought life, your desires, your, your thinking. I would actually suggest it leads to condemnation. Maybe some of you have been there, right? You've tried to be a good person. You even try to think good thoughts. When you know there's bad thoughts, you tell yourself, stop thinking that. That's a bad thought. That's not what a Christian does. And what does that do? It makes you think it even more, right? That no matter how hard you try, how much you discipline yourself, how much you even engage in Christian activity, you go to discipleship classes, you come to worship, you go to community group, you come to prayer meetings, all good things, by the way, but it's never enough because obedience itself doesn't have the power to fully transform your inner being. It, it leaves us falling short. It's bad news. It's bad news. But here's, here's the thing. We never stop. We keep reading. This is why it's important to keep reading. In a world of bad news, here is the good news. I, I would say it's like the best news of, of freedom. Because Romans 8, it starts off with such a wallop, again, of not just good news, but the best news imaginable. Verse 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Where you were once condemned, where you were condemned even by what's going on in your mind, in your thoughts, you have now been set free. You are dead to that in sin and alive in Christ and it's the Spirit's work. Because the gospel, it speaks into those areas of our life where we feel utterly powerless to change. Both our behavior, but even the deeper realm of our thoughts. That's what the gospel has the power to do. Because you don't need Christianity to change behavior but you need the gospel to change what's inside and provide real transformation. That's why verse six, it says that this kind of mind is life and peace. What it's saying is you can have external change, but not be at peace. You can be full of guilt. You can be kind of wrestling, but a life in Christ, in the spirit, it produces a mind that has peace and life. And maybe for some of us in here, maybe you can identify where you've tried to live a moral life, but you're tired and discouraged. And maybe you even feel like you're lacking the presence of God. Guys, if that's you, can I invite you? This is where grace can become amazing. Even if you've been in church your whole stinking life, heard about Jesus, like this is where grace becomes amazing. And that's the place where I want you to meet Jesus today.
Because most of us, we're conditioned. We want to bring our best to Jesus. And that's absolutely good. That's a good thing. Bring your best to Jesus, right? Bring them your trophies. Bring them your crowns. But what I want to say to you, the reason it's good news is we can come to him even when we don't got trophies and all we got is trash. All we got is trash. And even on the outside, we look impeccable. We look good. But you know what's going on inside. And every inclination of you is you need to go hide. You need to go find some fig leaves. You need to go do something to make yourself feel better about yourself. In a life like that of Adam, of sin, of the flesh, the gospel brings freedom. The gospel says you don't just got to bring your trophies. You bring all of who you are. Because God wants you. He wants you. The places in your life where maybe no one else might know. Maybe areas of your life that you've done a really good job of creating kind of an image for yourself. Sometimes I love church, but sometimes church can be really harmful in, in a weird way. It can teach us how to create moral structures so that people think we're a good person. Even if it's not reflecting what's going on in the inner parts of who we are. But guys, I want to invite you to the good news of Jesus that says, bring even that stuff in your minds, in your heart, that you feel powerless to change. Maybe for some of us, and I might just be riffing because I'm reflecting myself here, so if you can identify, you can hang with me, but maybe it's areas that you feel like you can't forgive people, like people have harmed you, people have hurt you, they've never owned up to it, and you know that the Bible says a good person forgives those. What, 70 times 7, right? And, and you know it. And you even, maybe on the outside, try to. Maybe you even said it. But the inside, you're like, how do I change how I feel about someone that's harmed me? I can't. I, I want to, but I can't. Maybe for some of us, it's uh, deep regret and guilt from something you've done in the past. And you've heard, you've heard like sermon upon sermon of how God looks at you and you're forgiven. God looks at you, you're loved, but you still feel this gnawing sense of, man, if I ever get found out about this, I am in deep doo-doo. Man, they would kick me out of this church in a heartbeat. They talk all about love and acceptance, but if they knew this about me, I'd be out of here in a second. Maybe for some of us where we feel powerless is maybe certain addictions in our life. Maybe we have certain addictions that you, you've, you've created structures to provide accountability, to be able to manage your behavior, to keep you from doing things or not. You've done all that, but inside you still feel this like craving. And you're like, I can't. It doesn't matter how many Bible studies I go to. I can't change it. I still feel that. And all of that sounds like bad news. But what I'm inviting you is to the radical nature of the gospel. Why is it good news? Because it's saying we can even bring all that stuff to God. Actually, he invites us to bring the stuff. That's what a life in the spirit is. The stuff that you cannot be a good enough person to change. God can do something with that. God invites you to bring that. All the stuff, and, and churches, we sometimes are not good at this because we can promote hiding stuff where the gospel is, bring it all out. Maybe not to everyone, but bring it all out. Because God's not scared of it. God's not intimidated by it. God's not somehow caught off guard by it. Bring it to him because he wants to offer his love 
and the power of the Spirit. Because God knows our thoughts, even the dark, shameful, terrifying ones, and he says he wants you. He promises not to just change what we do, but what we want. That's what a life in the spirit is. It's not changing our behavior because you can get any religion to do that. But what the gospel does distinctively, it offers an actual transformation of our desires, of our mind, of our thoughts. Where we used to now, where we used to live in the flesh, we can now live in the spirit in freedom. And a life in the spirit, guys, it's a lot of things, but as we've been looking throughout the series, we've been talking about relationship over and over. It's about relationship. And the spirit leads us to know a relationship with our Father God. And I would call this the spirit and Abba. Part of knowing the spirit is knowing our Father, Abba. In verse 14, it says, uh, sons of God, or, or you can un- understand as children of God, this is not gender exclusive, children of God, And the Holy Spirit, among many things, the Holy Spirit plays a major role in our adoption as children of this God, of this this Father. Verse 15 describes the process of spirit of adoption. And, And the old church father, John Calvin, he even suggested that the Holy Spirit, his first title was the adopter. That the Holy Spirit is the great adopter. So what does it look like as the Holy Spirit works in the Christian's adoption as a child of God? One thing is that the Spirit leads us into holiness. Um, If you're adopted as a child of God, the Holy Spirit grows you increasingly into the likeness of Jesus. And we hear and and we, we echo this, that God accepts you just as you are. And we full stop, amen. God accepts you absolutely whatever you bring. Again, not just your trophies, but even things that you are embarrassed of. Bring that, but we also have to realize we bring it and God accepts us so he can continue in the power of the Spirit, make us into who he designed us to be, fully glorifying. And we would call that holiness, becoming more like Jesus. We have to keep that goal in mind when we read verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So I don't know about you, but for me, when, when I've often heard led by the Spirit, um, sometimes I think I've heard that in phrases like, is the Spirit leading me to take this new job? Or is the Spirit leading me to marry that guy? Like, and, and it's not bad. It's almost like the Christians get a new GPS system, right? Like we get an internal navigation system and that's the Holy Spirit's job. Turn right, turn right. Oh, left, avoid that. I mean, and I, I don't think that's inappropriate, But that's not actually what Paul's referring to here when he's talking about leading of the Spirit. It's a leading into holiness. It's talking about the power of the Spirit to do something that the flesh couldn't do. Like verse 13 tells us, there is an active process of putting sin to death. And then as sin's put to death, we now live a life that grows in marked reflection of the person of Jesus. We grow to be more like Jesus. And guys, here's the good news. Here's the astounding thing. This holiness is present even in the private place of our minds. Not just our actions, but even in our thoughts. The secret realm of stuff that we have felt powerless over, we can even grow in holiness in those things. But here's why this is so important to understand relationship. Maybe you've been in churches that have talked about being holy a lot. 
Like ever, you need to be holy. You need to be holy. You need to be holy. You, and, and, and it's good, but if it's not um, soaked in the richness of this new relation with Abba, telling someone to be holy is just plain cruel. If, if, if the call to holiness is, well, you got to be holy, work harder at being holy, go there so you can be more holy, even if the end goal seems right, we are just being cruel. We, we can never leave our instruction for others and even ourselves as just do this. Because that never leads to life just on its own. If we can pull the curtain back a little bit, maybe for some of us in here, I don't know everyone, but maybe for some of us, that's why. Um, church or religious people have never really been that attractive for you to want to be around. Because maybe you've just heard a lot of, well, this is how you should be. This is what you should look like. This is how you should act. You need to stop saying that word. Whatever it might be. Because guys, if we just stop at this is what you should be, That's a crippling, debilitating, joyless message. Maybe it's even outwardly obedient or or, um, moral, like on the surface, but inwardly, that leads to crustiness, judgmental people. I don't know if you've run into them before. They're not fun to be around, right? Maybe hypocritical. I would suggest it's the condemnation that comes with bad news. And that's why the message of Jesus, the gospel, is called good news, not good advice. It's not just what you should do. It's what Jesus has done. It's what the Spirit of God leads you to grow in. Because yes, the Christian life should lead you to holiness. It does matter how we live. It does matter how we get involved in church, how we serve our neighbor, how we love our family. All that's really important. We're not saying it doesn't matter what we do. It actually really does. But here's the huge, 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 huge difference. The Christian's holiness is not about trying to be holy enough so that God will love us. It's grasping how much daddy loves us and draws us closer to him so that we grow in holiness. Amen? That proper order is critical. It's about a relationship. And I think if we can be um, just reflective a little bit, I think, I know for myself I've seen this, but maybe some of us you can identify. Sometimes there's emotional areas of kind of unhealthy spots in our spirituality even if we've been in church our whole life. Some of that is we haven't fully dealt with all the forces who've, who've worked to kind of create who we are developing into today. And at least in my experience with myself, but even people I walk with, a lot of that is about relationship with our own fathers or maybe parents. Because the, the reality is your relationship with your parents, I would suggest specifically fathers, have molded you and shaped how you view yourself and the world. I mean, it affects how we approach work, success, relationships. And whether we are aware of it or not, even how we understand God is often through the prism of our own relationship with our fathers. And I, I, don't, I don't go on this lightly because I know for some of us, there's, there's deep pain that gets uncovered when we talk in this way. Um, but for some of us have had uh, really great father figures in our life who've led you to 
grow in responsibility and, and even pointed you to Jesus, that at least in my experience in our church and, and beyond, that's not everyone. Some of us, we're here like oftentimes in spite of some of those influences in our lives. Maybe for some of us, we've had uh, fathers who are even present but distant. Maybe father figures who it felt like life was just about trying to not make them mad, about trying to live up to a certain standard. Maybe, maybe a coldness. Maybe for some of us, we, we never knew our fathers. Like they, they weren't around. And, and one thing I'm learning more and more, and maybe this is just reflecting my own journey, is like sometimes even fathers who we would objectively look at as have, having done a really good job, we still bring our pain of the sins of Adam into it. Like even if you've had a great dad, there's still some kind of longing and pain that often is attached to that fatherly relationship. And I get my, my, my point here is not to kind of take bandages and rip them off. Well, just deal with it. <laughs> no one's going to help you. It's not that, but more, maybe that's an area that God wants to do healing in your life. To be able to ask, why do I respond in certain ways to authority figures? Why is it hard for me to be around older men? Why am I deeply afraid of having kids myself? Why do I feel like everyone's going to dis- disappoint me ultimately? Why do I feel like I'm, I'm never enough? And just those are just some basic questions that as you ask yourself, maybe, and, and I would encourage you, find some trusted people to walk through with that. Maybe it's uncovering a little bit some brokenness in this relationship with an earthly father figure or a parent. And I also want to give that as an invitation to grace and healing. Some of you are in here with a lot of wounds and pain. And again, we're a church that we don't want to just kind of skim over it. Well, come on, you know, all the past is the past. Now let's move forward. For us to grow in wholeness and health, I think sometimes we got to look into some of those areas of possible brokenness, especially when it's dealing with our families of origin. And I want to invite you, invite the Spirit into that. If I or any of our leaders can help with that, let us know, because it takes a lot of work. But I say all that, because <laughs> I, I, I want to be careful. Many of us bring in pain. Even that word father is a trigger word. But in light of all that, what we see Paul writing in this passage is really intentional, guys. In other parts of the Bible, you might see that God is called by his covenant name, Lord, like capital L-O-R-D, Lord. And when you see Lord in all caps, that's different than seeing Lord like, like, a, like a master. Lord in all capital letters, it's an English version of the Hebrew word Yahweh or, or Jehovah. It's, that's God's proper name that he gave to the Israelites in Exodus 3 where he said, I am and it was a way for the Israelites to be able to have a name for God. And, and that's an appropriate way to refer to God. So again, it's really purposeful here when instead of that word, capital, all caps, Lord, Paul uses here Abba. It's a title that shows greater intimacy than God's covenant name. Again, rather than God's like proper name, it's like saying, Daddy, Abba, 
Abba God, Daddy God. Um, it, it's meant to be intimate. Like if, we're, if I were out in the streets, like walking in the neighborhood, and if some little kid came up to me and started going, Dada, first of all, I'm like, yo, yo, I don't want to get slugged by someone, so stop that, right? I don't want to get in trouble, so let's stop that. But it would just be weird, because I'd be like, oh, I got kids who can call me that because they're my kids. That's not, not everyone can do that. Um, only my kids get to call me that because in a similar way, Abba is a title reserved for those who've been gifted a special relationship with God. And even for many of us here, uh, maybe there are many of us who know much about God. We know things about God, but we might feel really uncomfortable to talk about God as daddy. That might feel strange. Some of us, we might even say, hey, that's too personal. That's too flippant. That's too informal. That's not the glory and honor due God's name. He, it's biblical. God calls us to look at him as daddy because that's exactly the point. Paul is writing about what this spirit-led relationship is to look like. There is a reason why the word cry is there in verse 15 when it's addressing daddy. Again, this could be a little bit of a trigger, but, so I want to be mindful. But some of us, the idea of a father and crying, you've never been able to put that together. Because it's almost the message from some fathers is you don't cry, especially if you're a young man. You don't cry. Stop it. Stop being weak. But there's a reason why cry is here when we're addressing daddy. Because we cry when our hearts are filled with terror. We cry when it's dark and we can't see ahead of us. That's where I was telling the little guys, there's so much to learn from them because they teach us what it means to come to God. We cry out when we've fallen. It would be cruel to look at a two-year-old who falls, scrapes their knee. Come on, get up. That's what bandages are for. When they cry, you hug them. You say, it's okay. You'll be all right. Maybe we're questioning how life seems to be unfolding, and we're even wondering whether God's plan is good, and we can know that when he's Abba God, Abba Father, he hears us at our lowest points emotionally, spiritually, and he's not disappointed in us. He's not ticked off at you. He's wondering why you can't get your act together. He's not wondering how many Bible studies you need before you finally man up. He's your Abba Father. He's Daddy. Because, guys, what it's saying here, if you want to know that you have the Spirit of God within you, our very cries, they're our testimony that God's grace has worked in our hearts. I know we're in a culture that says tears are a form of weakness and toxic masculinity. Yo, I, I think tears are a sign that you actually know who God is. Like our cries, our tears, they're a sign that God has worked in our hearts. It assures us that in the midst of raging storms, Abba, he is a safe haven with arms open wide to hold us tight in his loving embrace. That's who God is. God is not just a general telling you which way the army's supposed to go. God is not just a CEO telling you how to put different pieces in place so we can be more effective. God is not just an architect. God is a, a father, a daddy. 
And when I think about that image, I think about my own in Korean appa, a form of appa, appa in Korean, my daddy. And I remember, uh, I think I've told this story before, but I, I had to probably be a couple years old at the time, like really little. And this, uh, I have, we happened to be over someone's house, and we watched uh, this evil, evil movie called Willy Wonka. Um, <laughs> like the old version, Gene Wilder version, right? And, and I mean, I'm joking. It's a great movie, work of art. But it, yo, it had these like jacked up characters in it called Oompa Loompas. I don't know, man. For me, that's like nightmare fuel, right? And like I was at this place watching them. My face must be. Because that night, it's scary how memories work. It's as if I can still remember that over like how many years ago now. I can still remember that night not being able to fall asleep, feeling horrified. Uh, like feeling little loompas like, yeah, you're coming after me, wanting to eat off my head or something. Like, it was scary, right? You know what I remember from that night? And I'm sure details have gotten muddled, but it feels really clear. I remember my appa holding me tight to his chest the whole night. Um, um, holding me all night. And, and maybe for a little kid, it felt like all night. Maybe it was like 10 minutes. I don't know that. Time is like a thousand years. But I, I remember very clearly holding me tight to his chest as if I could feel the warmth of his body and hearing him whisper in my ear, you're okay. Um, I've got you. I'm, I'm with you. Um, I love you. You're mine. And again, I don't know if I heard those words, but that's what I, that's what I perceived. That even with the scariest things of life, there is one who would be there for me. And obviously, any human father, they'll fall short in different ways, just as my own father did. But it points us in the best stuff. It points us to our heavenly father, who's an Abba. He's a daddy. Now, I want to invite you. Maybe you've never thought about God in that way. It feels really mushy. You're like, yo, I want like hardcore theology. I don't want this mushy, like hugging God. I don't want my God to hug. My God doesn't hug. I'm sorry, Abba's hug. You got really no choice in the matter. I, do get, I guess you do have a choice whether you want to receive the hug or not. I've known kids. Dads want to give a hug. Kids want no part of that. My point being, some of you, you are, maybe you already believe in God, but maybe the Lord's inviting you to trust him as Abba today. You already know God. You believe in him, but maybe the Spirit is inviting you to know him as Abba, Daddy, Father. Who invites you to not fall into slavery anymore, but you're, you're his child, you're his daughter, you're his son. Who invites you from fear and guilt and wondering, is everyone going to see what I'm thinking right now? How am I even in church right now? I know people think I'm a good Christian, but man, if they just knew what's going on in my thoughts, what I've been through, what I'm thinking, the Abba who knows that and just invites you to come and be held by him. A daddy that you don't have to hide from even in your darkest thoughts. I also want to welcome some of us here to consider whether God is your father. And I, this is a little controversial, 
But I think when we have statements like God is all our father, I think God's all our creator. But again, father is a special designation given for those who've trusted in daddy. I would invite you, if you don't know God in that way, maybe the spirit of God would bring your heart to life today. Say, I want to know this God, not just the one who gives me rules or tells me how I'm going to keep falling short, but who's ready to hold me continually through the dark. If that's you, I would invite you to fix your eyes on the sacrificial work of the elder brother, our big brother Jesus, who desires to bring you home to daddy. He wanted to bring you home so much that he would give his own life on the cross, sacrifice himself so that you could be adopted home. And if that's any of your heart, we would love to talk about that with you because there's no better gift in this world to know the one who is so for you, even if everything else feels like it's not. I want to invite you to that. And wherever you are in the journey, can I ask you to stand right now? We're going to go into time of, with our music team, go into the time of the Lord's Supper. And this is a way for us to remember relationship with God, with our Abba Father today as we think about that. So if you are already his child, you worship him, you follow him, I'm going to invite you during this next song, come up, receive one of these elements and bring it back to your seat as we remember the sacrifice of our elder brother, Jesus. One of the significance that we do this all together is when you're adopted, we're not adopted just to be put into different homes. We're adopted into one giant multi-ethnic, multicultural family. And it's messy at times, but heck, it's beautiful. It's glorious. And we're just trying to show a little glimpse of what that looks like here. So we take it as a community together to remember what our big brother Jesus did for us to bring us home. If you're not a Christian, if you're not in this family, but you want to be, I'm going to invite you today. Maybe today the Holy Spirit is inviting you to say, what are you waiting for? There is a daddy who loves you and a big brother who gave his life for you. Trust in that today and enter uh, in faith, not fear, into new life. And maybe today can be your first communion, trusting Abba, God, in this way. So let me pray for us as we seek him together. As you stand before God, before we do any singing or anything else, just for a moment, close your eyes in your mind's eye. Use your imagination. How do you picture God looking at you? For some of us, we can't help but feel harshness or severity or fear that we're going to mess up again. But can you see this God? And again, we don't perform to him, but can you imagine him looking at you with the eyes of a good daddy? who is just so pleased, so in love, so wanting just to be with you. You're not a disappointment to him. Jesus took care of that. You're the apple of his eye. Picture him looking at you like that. This is why it's good news, guys. And if that's you, just sit in that, enjoy that, praise God for that. Ask him to change your heart, promises, even your desires, as he will. And when you take your communion, give him praise in that. Lord, thank you for this time. Lord, we, we realize we put our hope in so many things for transformation. But Lord, ultimately, you're just inviting us back to you 
over and over again to live life in the spirit. So I pray for us wherever we're at in this journey, may we see you not in ways we've always seen you, but as our Abba God, our Abba Father, our Daddy. And that you can even change the deepest innermost parts of our life that we've hidden away for so long. That you're looking at that and you're not looking to judge us because Jesus has already been judged. We can be free and be safe in your arms. So we come to you right now, Lord. We pray for healing work for some of us. I pray for freedom. I pray for a desire for holiness. Whatever it might look like, we come to you and bring our lives to you. So let's sing. And again, whenever you feel ready, come and and get one of these elements and we'll take it after the first song together.